Hello, and welcome to the Remaking Your Mind podcast, a place where we deep dive into how reclaiming the narrative that plays in your mind through making small adjustments in the way you think can vastly improve your quality of life. I'm Camille, your host, and today I'm going to be talking with you about the different types of self-care. Um, so in my last episode, I talked about setting minimums and maximums as a way of managing your time and how um, self-care is a really big component of that. And so I wanted to follow up that episode with an episode about self-care because self-care is something that I feel like I've never met somebody who's an expert on self-care. Like no matter how many counselors I've met and no matter how many (laughs) psychologists I've met and no matter how many people, um, you know, very healthy people, I've met plenty of healthy people. You know, I've never met somebody who's like, man, I am just a boss at this. I am so good at it every freaking day. Like, you know, you don't even know like how good I am at taking care of myself. Like I have never met someone like that. It's just something that, you know, it's tough, right? Like life is busy and full and there's a lot that is expected of us and there's a lot that affects us and um, figuring out how to take care of ourselves is just an ongoing journey it just is for everybody you know and that's totally okay like we're not supposed to be experts on everything including ourselves like that's you know we are an expert on ourselves in the sense that you know we know ourselves better than anyone else but that doesn't mean that we're perfect at figuring out exactly what we need at any given time and at any moment making the exact right choice that's going to make us perfectly healthy like that's not how life works like people you know we go through life and we try to live a good life and we have so much that we care about and you know it's really easy for there to just not be enough time in the day or energy in the day or whatever it is um So I want to talk about self-care because one of the things that I've noticed being a counselor is that people will tend to gravitate towards certain types of self-care and tend to be overly reliant on certain types of self-care and then wonder why it doesn't always work. It's a really, really common pattern that I've seen in the, what, six plus years of being a counselor. Um, So basically, one of the things that I end up teaching a lot of my clients and a lot of my students is that you might be doing self-care. And that self-care habit or choice or whatever is healthy. But if that's the only one that you're doing, it's not going to be the be-all, end-all solution. Like your body, your mind, your heart, your soul has a lot of different needs and a lot of different ways that it can be attended to. And you can't expect one or two ways to always be a solution. Even if it's a solution, the majority of the time, the majority of the time still isn't all of the time. And so it's really important to have an idea of, you know, different options and different types of self-care. And that's something that not everybody is maybe the best at identifying. Um, And so that's why I wanted to talk about it. So one of the types of self-care that I've noticed is very common Um, And then there's nothing wrong with this type. I want to make that very clear. It's just that it's not always a solution um, to every to every problem. And that type of self-care is um, avoidance. Right. And so there's a lot of activities that you can do that help you um, get your mind off of and kind of avoid the underlining things that are stressing you out, that are bothering you, that are hurting you, that are the issues in your life. Um, So avoiding. coping skills and self-care things that's fine like you can you can have avoiding uh coping skills and they're not necessarily bad but 
they will not solve your problem. They will postpone your problem or they will bury your problem, but they will not make that problem go away and they will not solve it. Um, and so that is usually the issue, right? People will be like, oh, well, I've been taking care of myself. I've been coping. I've been coping. I've been coping. Why don't I feel better? Why haven't I gotten over this? And it's like, well, because you've avoided it, right? And that's a very short-term coping skill. It's not a long-term solution, and that's what they don't recognize. So some avoidance coping skills that are really common are things like playing video games, are watching TV, watching Netflix. Um, you know, maybe it's playing, well, it depends on the person, but like playing sports or something. Um, so basically, you're keeping yourself super busy or distracted, Um and like I said, short term, that's totally fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Long term, it's not a solution. Uh, so it's important to find coping skills that actually um, foster processing what you're going through. Because the thing about human emotion is they're designed to be experienced. And it's like you're supposed, you know, the way the human mind and heart work is things you experience things and then you absorb those things and then you process those things and then you tend to have to kind of let those things breathe and like express those things in some capacity in order to to move forward you know you can't continuously absorb and then just be okay right and then that just be it and that's kind of what avoidance does is it says okay i absorbed life i absorbed 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 and now I'm just sitting in it. I'm just letting it sit and fester underneath the surface, but I'm not processing it. I'm not doing anything about it. and I'm not letting it go anywhere because avoidance doesn't make it go anywhere. And that's something that a lot of people don't seem to understand sometimes is they think, oh, well, if I avoid it long enough, if I ignore it long enough, if I distract myself long enough, then it just won't be there when I come back. But that's kind of like, you know, <laughs> chaining a a weight to your ankle and then running around and playing soccer and being like, oh, well, if I just play soccer long enough, this weight on my ankle is going to go away. Well, no, it's not because you never addressed it. You never confronted it. You never found the key to, you know, unshackle yourself. You just ran around. The weight's still there. Like you didn't do anything about that weight. So it's not going anywhere. Um, so that's kind of how avoidance coping skills work. Just because you stop paying attention to it doesn't mean that has in any way <laughs> done anything. And so, you know, I tend to recommend to people, okay, if you need a break, like by all means, take a break, but don't let your life just be one big, uh, you know, endless break when it comes to every time you get upset or every time things don't go your way or every time there's tension in a relationship or, you know, and people will really often, you know, extremely often will default to distraction and avoidance and taking a break versus actually processing. And that just doesn't work. So processing coping skills, um, you know, that can look like a lot of different things. You know, people function at their own pace and their own time, and that is okay. It is okay. I am not talking about grinning and bearing it and shoving your way through all of your issues and immediately facing it. I am not putting that kind of pressure on you, and nor do I recommend putting that kind of pressure on you. If you need time, you need time. If you need space, you need space. That is okay, but just don't expect time and space to heal and make something just disappear. Um, you know, processing is what allows you to heal and processing is what allows you to move forward. 
So processing coping skills, that can be um, journaling, you know, just like writing it out, uh, thinking it out that way. It can be talking to a friend, right? Talking through how it made you feel and what you thought of it and what the possible, you know, courses of action are towards it. It can be seeing a counselor. Um, it can be, you know, just getting out the emotions that it caused you. So maybe you don't talk about it. Maybe you're somebody who's like, you know what, talking about it is only going to make me feel worse, is only going to make me fixated on it more. It's not going to help me. Then okay, okay. You know, you don't have to be somebody who always talks about it. I'm not requiring that of you. But what I am saying is that processing it is important. You have to let it breathe somehow. So maybe it made you sad. Maybe it made you angry. Maybe it made you scared. Okay, well, what are you going to do with those emotions? Are you just going to let them sit there buried or sit there, you know, and fester? Or are you going to allow those emotions to have their, you know, their space to breathe so that you can move forward and feel something else? and, you know, kind of continue on with your life. So sometimes, you know, sports really help or just physical activity in general can really help people process what they're going through because they can expend that energy. They can process that energy and they can exert that energy onto something. So whether that energy is, you know, maybe you feel confused and that confusion makes you feel irritated, but you can take out that irritation on, you know, a baseball or something or on, you know, the soccer field or, you know, the football field or whatever it is in volleyball, you know, if you need to get that irritation out, you can direct that irritation towards something else and, you know, not someone else, make that important distinction, but towards something else. And that can be very helpful. Um, so like I said, sports can really help with that. Um, the other thing that can help with that is, you know, maybe you can't talk about it specifically, but you can say something similar um, that has a similar message. So, you know, for example, listening to music and like singing to that music or playing music or something music related where the message of the song is in line with how you feel. Just, um, being active in that, just participating in that can really help you kind of get that energy out and get that energy, you know, give it its room to breathe and help you process how you're feeling through an expression of a similar feeling, even if it's not the exact same facts. Um, so that's something that's really common. You know, people will sing or dance or play guitar or do something music related that helps them kind of expend that energy and allows their body to process that emotion because emotion has energy to it. That's a really big thing to pe for people to understand. Emotion isn't just like a, I don't know how to put this, like a cerebral experience. Like emotion has energy, physical energy to it. So if you need to cry, cry. If you need to scream into a pillow, scream into a pillow. If you need to punch you know, a punching bag, then punch a punching bag. Like it has energy to it and that energy needs to go somewhere. And so that's why a lot of times when people refuse to face their feelings, when they refuse to talk about their feelings, when they refuse to do anything about their feelings, what happens, right? They will overeat. They will undereat, right? They won't eat. They will stop taking care of themselves. 
they will sleep too much, right? So all these physical things will start to manifest. They'll be irritated, but they won't know why, because maybe that's not the original feeling that they had, but because they never let that feeling out, that energy went somewhere else, right? That energy is like, no, I'm going to get out. Like, no matter what, I'm going to get out. So I'm either going to get out in a healthy way or I'm going to get out in an unhealthy way. But either way, it's happening, right? Another thing that will happen is if you don't allow yourself to process your emotions and you don't allow yourself to process you know, what it is that you went through, it'll manifest not only in physical like action, right? Like overeating, undereating, oversleeping or undersleeping. Um, but it'll also manifest as physical ailments, right? So you'll get headaches or you'll get stomach aches or your, your body will ache. Like you feel sore, even though you didn't work out, right? All these physical things will start happening to you because basically your emotions are fighting back. They're saying, Hey, ignoring me, isn't going to work. Like I exist and you're going to acknowledge my existence one way or the other. So you can either suffer more because you're refusing to give it the room that it needs, or you can figure out how am I going to give this emotion its room to be processed? Um, you know, and so whether it's physical activity or some kind of um, personal expression, or confiding in another human being, you know, friend, family, professional, right? Pick whatever avenue suits you. But I would encourage you to pick one. Don't just avoid and don't just suppress. Don't just say, oh, okay, well, if I just act like it's not happening, and I do that long enough, then everything's going to be okay. Because it's not, it's going to manifest itself in other ways. Um, another way that emotion that goes unaddressed and unexpressed and unprocessed will manifest is it will impact how you interact with other people and how well you trust other people and how healthy your relationships with other people are. So even if, you know, say your, um, your issue that you had, your, you know, your drama that you had is with person A and person A isn't in your life anymore, and you never talk to person A again, but you never met, you never allowed yourself to express how you felt, you never came to a resolution, all of that stuff just was suppressed, 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 because you refused to address it, and you refused to confront it, well then, you know, so the story goes, time goes on, and then you meet person B. And it doesn't even have to be like, say all of those issues were romantic issues um, or romantic related issues, and then person B is just a friend. They, they could even be like the same, you know, whatever, like somebody that you're not romantically interested in. You can still have that past stuff affect your relationship with person B, even though it has nothing to do with person B because you didn't let it out and it's going to find a way out one way or the other. So maybe you start becoming more paranoid. Maybe you start becoming more guarded. Maybe you um, lose interest in people faster. Maybe you lose trust in people faster. Maybe you don't feel comfortable hanging out anymore. Or maybe, you know, certain things that they say or do trigger those emotions that you are shoving down. And so you're more irritable towards that person, even though they had no idea what they triggered. And then even you might not even understand what they triggered. So there's all of these consequences, these physical, you know, psychological, emotional, you know, relational consequences that come from not processing your emotions and not allowing your emotions to be expressed in some capacity. 
You don't have to be, you know, what's considered the girly girl, you know, response where you talk about your feelings. That is just one of the many processing avenues that is available to you. But just recognize that bottling stuff up, not a solution, ineffective, and it doesn't actually work. People think that just because they never talked about it, it means that they've somehow been successful. Like, no, (laughs) that's not true. You know, there's even statistics, and I'm probably not going to get the numbers exactly right, but something like men on average die seven years younger than women do on average. And there's like this correlation um, that has to do with stress levels. And so women's stress levels have enough of a difference that they're actually, they're, they live longer than men do on average. And you think, okay, so, you know, there's a lot of theories as to why that is. Now, one of those main theories is that women talk about their feelings. They say, okay, well, women are more, more socially reliant on an emotional level. And so they process stress differently than men do. And they are more likely to actually process said stress versus suppress said stress to the point where it affects their longevity. And so there's stuff like that um, in psychology where it kind of points at even gender differences just kind of on average, right? And in our society, men are taught not to be very expressive about their emotions and that the primary emotions that they're supposed to express are rage and, you know, you know, irritation, anger, and indifference, which is an emotion, even though most people don't understand that. Um, And, you know, they're allowed to express joy, but not even necessarily at the same capacity as women, right? There's all these like expectations that are put on men that can actually be extremely negative um, and can really affect their mental health and their ability to have intimate relationships and their ability to, you know, do all of these things that are healthy for themselves. And so that's why, you know, we talk about this stuff is because, that's just one example that's gender related, but it's true for everybody. Like just because you're a woman doesn't necessarily mean you're better at processing emotion. I want to make that very clear, right? These are generalities based on, you know, random statistics and that's just not like true for everybody. Like everybody's different. Um, you know, so maybe you are a guy who's really good about talking about your emotions and that's freaking awesome. Like seriously. Um, you know, if you are someone who's good at opening up and being vulnerable, like that's amazing. Like it doesn't matter what your gender is. Um, but it's just one of those examples that like science can even point at, okay, if this is an average expectation of a certain group of people, this is how it affects their welfare. Um, so yeah, so processing, (laughs) I kind of deviated a little bit from the main topic. Like I wanted to talk about the different branches of self-care and I did that, but I also talked about like why those branches are so important or like what impact they have on you. So it's still relevant, but it's not like perfectly on topic and I apologize for that, but um, it happens. I tend to just ramble about psychology a lot. You'll learn that about me by listening to my podcast and being my friend. Um, But the other types of self-care, I mean, those really are the two types, honestly. Like, I'm sure there's other types out there, but usually it comes to comes down to, and in a big kind of generic way, it's either an avoidance type of coping skill, so short-term, or it's a long-term type of coping skill, so processing coping skill, which is actually going to help you move forward and create a healthier life where you're able to heal from what you went through. Um with coping skills too, you want to figure out 
different areas in the sense of, so we talked about those, right? So we talked about avoidance type coping skills. We talked about processing type coping skills. There's also a branch of coping skills um, just related to, you know, meeting your body's needs um, and then figuring out, okay, well, you know, our bodies need nutrients and they need comfort. Um, they need, you know, rest. They need activity, right? And so kind of figuring out um, different coping skills that fall into the different categories and having that list somewhere, if it's just in your head, okay, great. But it usually helps to have it written down somewhere, somewhere, you know, on your phone, on your computer, on your, in your journal, whatever. Um, it helps to have something physical to reference, um, but kind of cover your bases, right? And so if you sit there and you go, okay, um, you know, maybe I'm dehydrated, right? So like returning to basics is a self-care and self-care coping skill in itself. And you say, okay, I don't feel good. I'm irritated, whatever it is, right? I'm irritated or I have low energy or blah, 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 blah. So you check your basics. You go, did I take a shower today? How well did I sleep? Do I need to sleep more? You know, am I dehydrated? Do I need to drink water? When was the last time I ate? Okay, well, maybe I only ate an hour ago, but what did I eat, right? Did I only eat carbs, you know, or something like that? So like checking the quality of what you ate. Um, so, you know, returning to basics in itself is its whole like category of coping skills because it's surprising how much that impacts your mental health, your mood, your attitude, your ability to perform, your ability to socialize and connect, right? All of these things are affected by um, whether or not you're attending to your basics. Even the way your brain is operating, like how well you're able to focus, um, how well you're able to have like deep conversation, you know, if you're able to retain information, all of those things can be affected by your basics, whether or not you drank water, whether or not you had eight plus hours of sleep or too, too much sleep, right? If you slept 12 hours or something, whether or not you had protein and other nutrients in your diet that day, or you just ate carbs and sugar. Um, you know, I've noticed even with me, like one of the simplest ones is I need to have more protein in my diet. Like even when I have a little bit of protein and I think, oh, that's probably enough. Usually it isn't. Um, for whatever reason, when I go really heavy on protein, I feel a lot better. Like my brain works better. It works faster. I'm able to focus more. I'm able to be more engaged in my conversations with people. I'm able to get through the day with less physical pain and less, um, you know, like energy dips. Like there's all of these very noticeable signs of the days that I've ate a lot of protein versus the days where I had very little or none at all, you know, there's a big difference. Um, you know, and same thing goes for the reverse. Like the more carbs and sugar I have in the day, the more like scatterbrained I am, the less I retain information. My memory is worse. You know, my ability to just remain consistently productive is worse. Right. And so sure, my situation might be more extreme than other people's maybe, but it's still true, right? Your body responds to what you put in it and what you do to it. That's just that's just true no matter who you are. Um, granted, I have certain health stuff that goes on with me, so I have to be even more careful because my body is significantly more sensitive. But even with somebody who is no, um, no chronic illnesses and no health stuff that they have to attend to, the fact that their body responds to what they do to it is just a fact, <laughs> You know, it might have less severe response or less extreme response, but the response is still there. 
And so you want to pay attention to like, you know, on your um, making a list of well-rounded self-care options and coping options, you know, figure out how much have I ate today and what was the quality of what I ate? You know, did I go too heavy on a certain type of food at the expense of another type of food that could have made me feel better or could have helped me feel more energized or awake or whatever? Um, so yeah, so basics. And then, you know, it helps to have have a good idea of what makes you feel comfortable and what makes you feel safe, which isn't necessarily the same thing. There's a pretty heavy overlap, but there's still kind of nuances in those two things. Um, so, you know, comfort is, being able to comfort yourself is definitely a self-care um, and a coping skill. Uh, I would say that just because something isn't super comfortable or isn't in your comfort zone doesn't mean it isn't good for you. That's a really, really common misconception. People think, oh, well, what's good for me is what I'm comfortable with. And then if I'm not comfortable with it, well, then it's not good for me. That's not true. (laughs) Um, You know, things become comfortable even if they're not good for you Um, because your body acclimates and it does that relatively quickly. Um, And it gets used to certain patterns, even if those patterns actually have a negative consequence. So don't assume that just because something is in your comfort zone means that it's the right choice at any given time. You have to think about, okay, do I need something that's in my comfort zone right now? Or do what I actually need is something that's going to help me grow as a person and is going to help me um, continue to move forward in my, you know, personal development, right? And you have to play that by ear, but don't assume that comfort zone is always the solution because it's not. Um, So it's good to understand what's in your comfort zone, but it's also good to know that that's not the only thing that you should be relying on. And so maybe it's a warm blanket, maybe it's a good sweatshirt, maybe it's, you know, your favorite movie or your favorite music album or your, your favorite YouTuber or whatever it is. Like have a list of those things because yeah, there's gonna be times in life where you just need basic, simple comforts. Maybe it's the food that your mama, you know, made you when you were young or something. Um, But, you know, it's good to have that in mind, but it's also good to not always rely on that. And then have things um, as a coping skill, as a comforting, or not comforting, sorry, as a coping skill or as a um, self-care thing that maybe it is out of your comfort zone. Because honestly, like, it's exciting to do new things. It's exciting to go on an adventure. It's exciting to try stuff. And that can be a really good way to take care of yourself, to do stuff that's out of your comfort zone. Um, So maybe it's, you know, talking to somebody who's new in your life. Maybe it's trying a new um, hobby, right? Like recently, I picked up some like $10 paints and I started painting in one of my uh, sketchbooks. I absolutely love drawing. And painting is something that I have done in the past, but I've never been good at it. I'm not, I'm not, I am not good at it. Um, but I was surprised at how I sat there, you know, and I painted for like two hours and man, you know, even though the painting looked really dumb, I felt really good about it because I stepped out of my comfort zone and I did something that was very soothing, right? There's something very kind of like, um, soothing about painting. I think it's like the texture or something, but anyways, that's not the point. I digress. Um, so even though I did something that was totally out of my comfort zone as an artist, right? It's not something that I'm used to doing. It's not something that I'm good at. It still was a really good 
um, time of self-care because I pushed myself to try something new. And even though it turned out really dorky looking, like I was satisfied because I had done something new. Right. So I, I had that satisfaction of, you know, I did something out of my comfort zone. I accomplished something that I wouldn't normally have accomplished. And that feels really good. And so that's a good way, a coping skill to establish, you know, trying new things, even if they're small new things. And, you know, and it was kind of that middle ground thing, too. Right. Because I'm very used to doing art. So it's only so new. Right. Like, it's not like I've never done art before. Like, I do art all the time. Um, so in that sense, it wasn't new, but the medium was new. So, you know, it was kind of like a middle of the road, wasn't super out of my comfort zone, but it was definitely something that I had very little to no experience with. Um, so you can do stuff like that, you know, and you can also do stuff that is way out of your comfort zone or that, you know, you have had fun doing in the past, but for whatever reason, you just haven't done it again in a long time. Um, another kind of avenue of coping skills is paying attention to your environment. A lot of times if we're overly stressed, if we're overly anxious or depressed or just dealing with a strong negative emotion, environment, even just changing your environment can play a really big role in shifting your mindset. Um, so that can be its kind of own branch of coping skills, own branch of self-care in itself, is listing and identifying different environments that are options for you um, when you're not feeling good. So sometimes when you're not feeling good, the only place you need to be is home, right? You need to be home in your own bed or on your own couch or whatever it is in your own, in your own environment. Other times, um, especially in times like COVID when you know, isolation is really common. And when working from home is really common, you need to be able to be somewhere else, almost anywhere else. And that could be enough to make you feel better. Um, so obviously, I'm not recommending that you like go against any of the guidelines or anything like that. Like, I'm not going there, you know, you have to make your own choices about your safety. Um, but what I am talking about is figure out where you feel safe or where you're willing to try to feel safe you know, or comfortable or whatever. And it doesn't have to be places that you've been before. Maybe you look up different hikes that you want to go on or different lakes that you want to visit. Or, you know, maybe there's another town that's half an hour away that you don't spend much time in. You could walk around, you know, downtown there or something like that. Um, so with the location idea of coping skills and self-care, I usually try to do a balance of a couple of things. Um, I have a couple of friends' houses, right? So like social environments that, okay, if I need to get out of the house and get out of the current mindset I'm in, like which friends can I go hang out with even just for a little while and they can kind of help me get into a different frame of mind. Um, so I have like social environments. Then I also have environments that aren't necessarily social, and but they're still indoors. So places that, you know, if the weather is bad, I can still go there and spend time there and kind of get out of my rut that I'm in at home and just get a change of pace just by location. Um, so I have places like that. For me, one of those places is Barnes & Noble. Um, it's just a tradition in my family that Barnes & Noble is like one of the safe places that you go to um, when you need to get out of the house. And so even if I'm not buying a book and I'm not buying anything, I will go and sit at Barnes & Noble and I'll draw or sketch or read or journal or I'll even go to Barnes & Noble and watch YouTube. But just that shift in um, environment can be a way of taking care of yourself and can help you cope with um, various things in life. 
Um, so yeah, so having some indoor options that don't, you know, both social and non-social can be um, a really good idea. And then obviously outdoor is very important, right? You need fresh air, you need sunshine, you need to be interacting with the earth, like being outdoors is very important. Um, but it's not the be all end all. Like honestly, um, it's one of those, like it's extremely important and it's something that we all need to fit into our lives. But I also think that there are times where um, people can sometimes be overly reliant on that and that can just be their default kind of at the expense of other areas of their life. Um, so you got to find that balance no matter what, like no matter what, like we all have things that we gravitate to at the expense of other things. Um, and so having outdoor environments, I like to have both um, the type of environment that doesn't challenge me physically, right? Like I don't have to put forth tons of effort to be there. And then environments where if I want that physical challenge, then, then there it is. Then there's the physical challenge. Um, it helps me personally to have both options available. So I tend to pick um, places that are by the water. I have a really, I have a thing about that. Um, especially like before I was a Christian, um, I would have a really hard time feeling safe. And so for whatever reason, like driving straight up to the water where literally it felt like the waves were going to like hit my car, kind of drive up to the water, that really soothed me. Um, and it really helped me kind of like recenter and just like feel safe and just like relax and breathe. Um, and so I have certain spots um, in the town that I'm in. Well, actually, it's the whole peninsula because there's multiple towns out here that I go to when I just need to breathe, but I don't necessarily need to be like, you know, overly exerting myself physically. Um, and then, yeah, and then having places where like, okay, if I want to, if I want to hike or I want to, you know, work harder, I want to have that physical exertion, like having places where I can go and do that and feel comfortable. Um, so yeah, so that's another way to take care of yourself is to just kind of have a list of places of different types that serve different purposes that you can go, okay, I need to get out of the house. Where am I going to go? You know, and then you have all these options. Um, so we talked about places. We talked about um, just distractions or short-term coping skills. Talked about processing coping skills. We talked about returning to basics. So we've covered a lot of ground <laughs> when it comes to uh, self-care and coping skills. So I hope that was helpful. Um, it's definitely kind of an accompaniment. Accompaniment. I can't say that word. Um, episode that is geared towards giving you plenty of ideas on um, different avenues and options for taking care of yourself and for getting that variety in your life so that you're meeting your body, your mind, your soul's needs. Um, you know, oh, and you can also, I forgot to mention, you can also do the same kind of variety um, list making with your faith or whatever your spirituality is. Um, so I know for me, you know, I want to spend quality time with the Lord, but that can look like an awful lot of things, right? That can look like journaling, that can look like dancing, that can look like singing, that can look like taking a long drive, that can look like sitting at the beach, that can look like, you know, whatever. I can talk to him while I'm working out. I can talk to him whenever. And so there's all these options and it's good to kind of try to push yourself to include that variety in your life, um, especially when it comes to the Lord, because you know, the Lord is really um, diverse. You know, I think that the Lord has such a personality and has such a abundance to him that um, we all have certain preferences in the way that we talk to him. And that's great. 
And it's really good that we can kind of rely on those preferences to feel close to him. But I think that there's something very powerful in doing more than just your preference. I think that, you know, if your preference is journaling, like, you know, or whatever, or going to the mountains or um, singing, like in worship, like all of those things are incredibly beautiful and truly wonderful. But I definitely um, advise people or I don't know if advice is really the right word, maybe um, encourage, encourage people to try to create diversity in the way that they worship and diversity in the way that they um, look for Jesus and in the places that they look for Jesus, because it's really easy to get stuck in your preference and then feel like that's the only place that you interact with him because you become so reliant on that preference that you you don't necessarily feel as close to him when you're doing stuff that isn't that preference and that I think can become an issue um it's not like a super severe issue necessarily but I think that like God wants to be with us at all times in all places in all activities like God is not limited (laughs) to your preference whatever that preference is Um, And so I definitely encourage people to really diversify the way that they worship and the the places that they worship and the people that they worship around um, and with because, man, like God has so much to offer. He is so diverse and he loves to take care of you and he loves to participate in your life and he loves to be a part of that growing and healing process that is life. And I think that, you know, if we put him in a box, no matter how beautiful that box is, it's still a box. And that doesn't do him any justice. And it really doesn't do us any favors. Um, So yeah, that's the last category that I would encourage us to kind of figure out how can we diversify this as a way to take care of ourselves and as a way to cope with life and feel more connected and have that more enriching um, life that God desires for us. So yeah, so I hope that was helpful. I hope that was a good accompaniment. I don't know why I keep trying to say a word I can't say. Um, and thank you so much for listening. And I will talk to you guys soon. Bye.